We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. From the four. Fake toss to the end zone. And it is juggled. Did he catch it? No, he did not. Incomplete. And that's the way it ended last night uh, in Chicago, Washington, hanging on by a thread uh, to win the Thursday night game 12-7. to Cooley is here with me on the show. We'll go through uh, the overarching theme of the game last night. Uh, we will go through uh, Cooley's uhs and mms. Uh, we'll go through my game take, uh, and then we will comment on the Rivera rant. You'll hear it after um, uh, our first segment here. If you missed it last night, we'll play it for you, and then we'll react to it. And Cooley's read the story from yesterday as well, so we'll get to that. I've got a smell test a little bit later on. Nine picks, six college picks, three pro picks, including Cooley. What I would uh, suggest is one of the, I think, craziest point spreads the biggest sort of head-scratching point spread we've seen in a long time in a college game tomorrow. It's one of those point spreads where everybody that doesn't really follow gambling says, I think this is a misprint. This can't possibly be right. So we will get to that in a little bit. Uh, don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. A quick five-star rating, if you don't mind, and a one-to-two-sentence review helps. What did you think about the game? What is your over? arching theme from the 12 to 7 Washington Commanders first ever road win uh, as the Commanders um, last night in Chicago my overarching theme since I haven't done a post game with you in forever I forgot that you always want overarching theme that was your idea uh, well it's Kirk Cousins what Kirk, Kirk used Remember, to talk about our, Kirk, overarching Kirk themes I think so, yeah. I think it was Kirk Cousins that said, like, the overarching. It was Mike or Kirk. It was from the Kirk Cousins situation. <laughs> okay. I don't remember it that it way, was. but that's, that's fine. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not that's disputing it. From. Okay. Uh, my overarching theme was that was bad football that we watched last night. Yeah. It was bad football. It was bad quarterback play. It was bad decision-making processes. It was Bad ball, dude. It's good defense. There you go. It's good defense, but realistically, not good football. <laughs> I, I struggled. 
<laughs> there weren't a lot I, of choices for overarching themes. Everyone listening, everyone, everyone that's a good choice, right? Yes. The, the, the choice today, most of the thoughts I had, most of the things I've written down, essentially can be charted up to bad ball. Yeah. I mean, that, you're happy to win any game you want to win or that you can win, and anybody that's a diehard Washington fan right now, and I'm not. Just so we're clear, we're yeah. we're really clear. I I I found myself rooting for the Bears and Justin Fields. Sorry, <laughs> you're not the uh-huh. only, you're not the only one. Trust me, I hear from everybody. I just got a text from a really good friend of mine who said, "Man, your job every morning it's unbelievable." He goes, "I was rooting for the Bears last night. I just want this thing to crash and burn so badly that there's no choice." Than for the league to come in and 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 take Dan um, and and force him to sell the team. A lot of people feel that way. Trust me, a lot of people have reached that if they're even paying attention anymore. But go ahead on the overarching theme being that was some bad football. Well, it was just just bad ball. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know what else to say. You know, we'll go. I I've I've got notes throughout all of it. You want we're gonna do the the old ins and is, <laughs> yeah. and, and essentially everything will go into what is bad ball. I don't know how to put it any other way. I think there's very few positives that you take out of the game from both sides. As a Washington for Washington fans, you won a game, and essentially the season was over if you didn't win that game. That's my I mean, arch- that's, over. that's my overarching theme. I'm going to step on you right there because I don't want you to give Your my radio show stayed alive. I don't want to. I don't want to give you. <laughs> I don't want you to give my overarching theme. My overarching theme is the season was saved last night. You know, at least for now, and saved doesn't mean salvaged. You know, in context necessarily, but two and four, and I'm not just talking coolly about, you know, because now as a content provider that talks about the team all the time, the season, you know, people, more people will be paying attention. I don't even think that's true necessarily. For them, though, at one and five, you could have legitimately buried them because of the three teams in the division, because there's no chance you're going to get to nine, which is the minimum you're going to have to get to in the NFC to even be, you know, in the hunt for a wild card. Um, and at two and four, you, there's some life, not a lot of it, but there's some life. And if they had lost last night, everything was in play. You know, the quarterback change was in play to Sam Howell. Um, trade deadline stuff was in play. William Jackson, you know, asked for a trade and the reports are that Washington's going to try to accommodate him. What a disastrous free agent signing that was. Um, and you know, I was even thinking that, you know, uh, if they had lost last night, in addition to, you know, talking about what's next with coaching staff, with quarterbacks, et cetera, you, I would have really dialed in on, okay, who are they going to move before the November 1st trade deadline? Like they have some pieces that, you know, like Gibson right now is a piece. They don't seem to love him as much as I do. I really like Antonio Gibson. I actually think he should get as many touches as Brian Robinson Jr. But, you know, they might want to trade him, you know, before the trade deadline. So there would have been a lot of that in 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 the conversation. But at two and four, even with Green Bay coming up, now you got a couple of weeks where Green Bay, Indy, Minnesota, somehow with two of those at home. You know, if you can win a game or two, you're kind of back in the mix a little bit. 
And Rivera's teams historically have gotten better as the season's gone on. And that's my overarching theme is that they saved the season for now. Last night we would have buried them had they lost. Had Mooney caught that ball um, and and stretched it just breaking the plane and held on to it, that, that that's what today would have been about. And and the next couple of weeks, I would have said, let's start you know looking. As Doc always says, now it's time to focus on 23, as in 2023. Um, that's my overarching thing. Yeah, they they did save the season for the time being, but they play Green Bay next week, and that gets you to two and five because they're going to lose to Green Bay next week. And the, and the division is good, or I, I don't know, buddy. It, I, but when you combine our overarching themes, when you really combine them and think about them, they saved the season with bad ball. Right. Like <laughs> it just doesn't. Makes sense. The last four weeks, they've scored 8, 10, 17, and 12 points. Yeah. I know. It's not good. I mean, they're not coming along. No. They're not getting better. They're not an exciting team. They're not... Like, I actually said to you last week, or this week, some of the things in the seventh, in the 21-17 to 17 loss to Tennessee, you could see where Wentz was kind of gaining some ground and making some progress, and this this game I watched last night on Prime, which I like, by the way. I do, too. Was the first game that I've really watched start to finish on television. Yeah. Out of the first six games. I've watched periodically throughout some. I watched a lot of the Eagles game. Um, I listened to all the Titans game. But this is the first game I watched every play. Pretty much everything besides... The commercials, which you can fast forward through if you wait, you know, half an hour after the game. Right. They're not very good on offense. Scott Turner is not good. Carson Wentz is not necessarily coming along, and they're not utilizing any of the weapons that they have. And by the way, I actually think, based on last night at where we're at right now, that Antonio Gibson is better than Robinson. I do too. I think. And when you say he has fresh legs, it's like, no, he's the one that's been playing the entire time, where Herb Street said fresh legs. But I think he's better than Robinson. But they have weapons, and they don't use them. They have guys, and they don't get the ball to them. They have stuff going on, and it's not there. And Carson Wentz, by the way, can't just sit there and throw howitzers, throw howies at five-yard routes. He is blazing it by dudes at four and five yards. Yeah. That you could really see stand out when you're watching the television copy, where you're like, unless that's hitting them in the chest and knocking them backwards. He, I, I mean, yeah, he also, can't catch that ball. He also put one in Curtis Samuel's hands for a touchdown, and he dropped it. Um, and then came back to Curtis that Samuel on third down, and he dropped that one. And he dropped that one as well. Yeah. He also may have had, in, in a season in which I think there have been some pass rushes that could have been stop-watched stop in less than a half second before contact, the first all-out blitz where Roquan Smith was on him, I think that may have been, you know, like I wanted to say that that should have been offsides because he was there so quickly except that it wasn't offsides. <laughs> but, no, he's, he's spooked. He is, he is expecting on every single play to be hit and hard. 
And even when that doesn't happen, it is ugly to watch. And he's already, you know, coming in, we already knew decision-making and accuracy. Those were two issues that were problems recently for him in his career. And then when you throw uh, that he's fearful of the pass rush, which is legitimate, and it's it's a bothersome thing for him this year, they're 30th in the league in pass protection going into last night. Um, in, in in the ESPN stat, uh, which is you know win rate for for pass blocking, it's he it, and then I I throw a lot of it on Turner. At one point, I tweeted out, "My God, on third down and makeables, like it's not third and seventeen this week. They're third and makeables, and we're we're not we're not running bubble against these six and seven man pressures. Can't we can't we adjust?" and throw a bubble screen to Terry, which will go for 6, 7, 10, maybe 30 yards? I mean, that that drove me nuts. By the way, I have to tell you real quickly, There's there's a um, I'm going to read this tweet. So when I tweeted out this last night, this, is, this was my favorite response to any tweet that I tweeted out yesterday. Um, I tweeted out, this is awful. But as long as we're here, meaning watching the game, Scott Turner needs to figure it out on third down versus the Blitz. My God, throw a bubble already. And this guy, Dylan, responded coolly, quote, our car is flipped over in a ditch, but as long as we're here, we need to figure out how to get the seat warmers to work. (laughs) That's a good one, Dylan. And that's exactly what we were watching. It's like, this game is such an abomination. But as long as we're here and the car's flipped over in a ditch, will Scott Turner throw a bubble already? Can we get the seat warmers to work? That was funny. That made me laugh uh, out loud. We're not climbing out of this ditch. We are waiting (laughs) for a bigger car to come and help us. Yeah, but let's We don't know when that car's going to be here. But we're cold, so... Actually, damn it. I'd love to get the seat warmers to work, but I'm hanging upside down, touching the ceiling. At least turn the steering wheel heat on. Um, oh, gosh, dang. Like, no, they can't. Some of, some of the pressures that I've seen this year, first of all, the first pressure that I think we're talking about where Roquan Smith hit him yeah. was an all-out pressure. I know like it was. Blitz. I know it was. Actually, it, uh, actually somebody dropped. Somebody dropped, so I think it was seven man or, they, or six. Well, they turned. In, well, they bailed with the running back. Who they went? They went five man protection. I think, I'm pretty sure it was a five man protection. So in in the all out zero blitz, you got to drop with the. Like you can't just leave the running back. Yeah, the back went out. Right. I mean, it I, could, I remember that it could all be on, so, on Wentz. Is, I mean, like, I don't know. His lot receiver was wide open. You got to. Be able to let that go. I I think that their answer to a lot of these things is to throw hot. Red seven, red seven. Crab cakes in football. That's what Maryland does. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you want he he has. I to, think their answer is to throw hot. I understand throwing so hot, but do you think he could have thrown Wait, hot on that one? Had a drift. Yeah, you got to throw hot. It's just that they had some vertical routes, but sometimes, like you'd like. Your quarterback, so his slot receiver is open. I don't know who it was. One of my complaints about this entire broadcast, the only one, they show fucking no replays on Prime. Like They show the worst replays. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's hard to see some of the stuff. 
but you have like eight dudes at the line of scrimmage. Just like Vince Vaughn looked at Owen Wilson and said, <laughs> "Hot route seven, hot route." Yeah. I, I mean, maybe alert your slot receiver if you have something vertical. Just turn and look at me. But it, I am interested in a lot of their third down stuff. I have a lot to talk about with their third down stuff. But it's it's almost strange when they decide to max protect and keep protection in and when they decide to send protection out right. and the route combinations off of it are just not diverse enough. It is the same shit every time. I mean, they are the easiest third down team to play defense against. They're running shallow cross concept, basic cross concept, and attack the sticks concept. And off of that, they're running some screens. I did write, <laughs> like, hmm, for the first time in a third down and whatever, Terry McLaurin caught a slant. Right. Yeah, how about those? Do we want to maybe go back to that? Just some slants. Something quick. I mean. Slant and bu- you, could, you know what you could do? Slant and bubble. All day long. We'll call it slubble. Slant <laughs> bubble. Let's run the slubble concept. Yeah, blant. We're, we're running nothing but blants and slubbles today. I, I I don't think they do enough of that, and I know that they did they did a lot of that against Dallas, and that pass rush was relentless. No, well, they did it. What they did against Dallas was just throw flip screens. Okay, well, a slant bubble isn't a screen. Okay, well, it's you know what? Being I, able to it's re, it's it's high lowing a slant, but you, like you can't just throw twenty screens. That was the Dallas idea. Uh, you can at some point that doesn't work. Well, you do it until it works rather than getting your quarterback into a position where he's either mauled or he's so worried about getting hit that he throws the ball a million miles an hour at J.D. McKissick six yards in front of him and behind him. (laughs) I mean, because some of those throws he's made are just awful. And I knew and talked about it during the offseason. You're going to get some games that are going to be good. You're going to get some games that are going to be terrible. And you're going to get some games within the game where it's bad and it's and it's good. And the accuracy has been an issue for him, and the decision-making has been an issue for him. But this offensive uh, well, line is the dreadful accuracy also goes as a pass the pro. Velocity. Yeah. The pass, the pass pros, like, there are times when it looks like Spurrier. Right, with Patrick Ramsey. Like, there's no answers for picking this up. Right, agreed. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what's going on in some of the blitz pickup meetings. I would blitz them to death. You know what's so funny? I'd blitz them every down. You know what's so funny? Is that Tennessee and Dallas didn't really need to blitz them that much. I mean, Dallas got home and Philly got home sometimes with three-man rushes. That's why they're not getting blitzed. Well, uh, by no, but <laughs> Chicago's d- defensively has been bad. So they needed, you know, I really thought th- the biggest disappointment for me, one more overarching theme, and this is going to get old here after a while, is that this was the team to get healthy on offensively. And I know there was no Logan Thomas and no Jahan Dotson. And, you know, Tyler Larson was back in there for the guy that you know, dribbled the ball back three times at center, which was helpful. Um, but, you had 214 yards of offense in six points 
against a team that's not good defensively. They were 31st in the league against the rush. They were dead last on third down. I mean, Minnesota had people so wide open last week against them. They, Minnesota was 12 for 15 on third down. Rookies. What? They're starting four rookies. Yeah. And so there, 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 there's an S load of issues. But back to my number one overarching theme, they won the game. It's a Thursday night game. We've seen these Thursday night games really suck. They're really bad. How many Thursday night games did you play in? Quite a few. How bad were they? They were hard to prepare for, but it, I I loved the Thursday night game as a player, especially when you got them a little bit later in the season because you didn't have to put pads on. You, you kind of went through a couple meetings and walk, a couple walkers, and then you got the whole weekend off. Right. But they were, it's condensed. I mean, everything's very condensed. I was thinking about it last night, though. I was thinking, man, if I was an OC or a head coach or somebody, and I know that you can't always do this, and Eberflus is new, and but I would be utilizing the offseason to prepare every bit of that game plan for the Thursday night game. I, I would... I would, it would be done. How can you I mean, do? How can you do that if the game's later in the season? Well, I know that the Bears have made changes because some coordinators who have been around and some people who have been they they do the same stuff year in and year out. By the way, Washington played a lot of three three front. I know I, mean, I know it's just eleven guys out there, but played a lot of three three with Holcomb in the middle. Uh, I was gonna. I was going to mention to you that their typical five-man front, where in the past they've had five guys with their hand in the dirt and three-point stances, they had outside – Sweat and Tuhill were playing as outside linebackers. It was really almost a 3-4. Yeah, um, it, it is. It, you keep saying that, but it's a 3-3 because there's not another backer in there. Right. True. But but if Sweat and Tuhill are, so, are, are, are lining up outside – uh, and standing up, and Colcom's in the middle, and you've got a nose tackle in Ridgeway, number 91, with Allen and Payne, who were both really good again last night. We'll get to that here shortly. Um, then it it looked very much like a 3-4. But they call that their five-man defensive line front. They've run that a bunch here in the last two years. By the way, uh, I did want to mention yeah. real quickly, I don't want to lose this thought, because you played in this game. You know, Washington and Chicago played on a Thursday night in 2007. You played in this game. This was the game that followed, unfortunately, the Buffalo game and the tra- you know the the week and a half after Sean had passed. And you guys, uh, Jason got hurt. Todd Collins came in, and that was the beginning of a four game run to the postseason. You guys came back against Chicago with Todd Collins. Did Todd Collins just know the offense better than Jason? A lot better. Right. Yeah, Santana's the problem with that. that, he knew it He knew it much, much better, but the difference was is that was a be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, their offense, and there was so much timing and rhythm and anticipation on the quarterback's part, and Jason hadn't done that. This was, it was his, he'd been there a year and a half. Exactly. And that wasn't what he did at Auburn, and that wasn't what the plan was for Joe 
with Jason Campbell. In, in Joe's offense was the same terminology in the past game, essentially. It's all numbers. But there was so much more block it up, protect, and you can see guys open. Jason was going to have to develop a little bit more in that offense. Right. He ended up having a couple good years. A good year in Oakland. Yeah. I like Jason Campbell. I mean, Todd, but yes, I've said this multiple times. We had what we called 787 F-shoot pump. Two seven routes on the outside, an eight route in the middle that can either bend into the middle or go straight. And then this little, the F would run this little out and up. And if they sucked up on the F, then the eight route would get the ball over the middle about 18 yards. I year and a half, I hadn't caught that ball. First quarter, I turn around and that sucker is in the air. It's like, well, okay. This is what we've been talking about when this defense happens to be this way. Yeah. He just had, like, Todd just knew it. He saw it. I think Jason would have got closer to that. Yeah, he was still young. It was his second year. Um, so, anyways. Yep. They have, they have some big issues on offense. I know. And if the biggest issue right now is, here's my biggest concern. I don't know if I if this is true or not, and I don't know how the teaching is or not. But they have very limited concepts in third down situations, in real true drop back situations. It's either the OC goes to what he's comfortable with, or the OC goes to what the quarterback can understand or what he believes he can read out. Ryan, Fitz- that's a problem if, if they don't believe that Wentz can truly read out a defense and. I got to lean on, I don't like what Turner's doing, but I also got to lean on the fact that I've watched enough Wentz to see that he is not decisive and he struggles getting through progressions. And maybe it is simplified because of Wentz. Um, Look, we talked about, you know, after the Dallas game, it doesn't look like he's even able to you know, audible, uh, which changed in the Tennessee game. Um, last night, it looked like there were a couple of times, perhaps, I don't know, but I wanted to mention to you, and I'm looking for the quote right now. I had it up a little while ago, so I'm just going to paraphrase it, but, uh, I did not see this, but prior to the game on the pregame show, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a part of the Amazon uh, prime pregame halftime and postgame show. And Ryan Fitzpatrick said the problem in Washington is that they stick with what they're comfortable with and they don't adapt to the talent that that's, you know, it's and that's, that's criticism of Scott Turner. No doubt. Yeah. That, that would make complete sense to me. I'm throwing a guess from out here in Wyoming, but it's one of two or three things. Yeah. But you, you can't run basic cross and shallow cross and mesh concepts on third down as your like those three con- concepts as your primary concepts. Cause, Essentially, they're all passed off and worked off the same by a defense. They they essentially all work as a high-low between the middle of the field and the crossing route. And you can pass off the crossing routes and drop into the middle route. And if you don't have any threat over the top in those situations, then you can't really continue to run those all game. Yeah. They're red as a mesh read. They're, they're all red as triangle reads. 
So if they're passing off all your triangle read plays the same, which everyone's going to do, they're not very open. Okay, uh, let's get to our game uh, recap. Your uhs and ums, my overall game take. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Second down and goal. Fields. That's knocked in the air and the... Commanders come down with it. They do. So deflected up into the air and a pickoff at the five-yard line. That's Jonathan Allen who comes down with the interception. That was Washington's first defensive takeaway since week one. They got two of them last night, one on special teams. The muffed punt ended up really being the play of the game. But listen to this, Cooley, because um, I – Actually, I kind of have a hard time believing this is true. This is not like an ESPN stats and information thing. This is something called Optistats, but somebody sent this to me. I'm going to assume that it's true. The Bears last night were the first NFL team in 30 years to have three drives in one game where they drove the ball 60-plus yards or more to the five-yard line or closer and didn't score. I mean, it does seem like it would be awfully hard to be at the five-yard line three times and come away with zero points. Uh, apparently, they it were didn't the... look very hard last night. <laughs> no, they they actually made it look really easy. Uh, John Allen, though, with that pick, um, stopped the first of the three red zone appearances for Chicago last night. All right, uh, let's get to Cooley's uhs and mms, and then I'll give you my game take. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to start with the mm, three stops inside the five. That's big time confidence boost for that defense. And there's some talent on the defense. But gosh dang it. I mean, I'm watching this with a buddy to start. The Bears get down there on the first job, and I kept saying, they're not going to score. Chicago doesn't score. They're going to turn it over. They're going to turn it over. And it wasn't Jonathan Allen pick, but he doinked it into the helmet of another double. Obata, like, yeah. It's one thing when the ball gets batted. It's another when you throw it into the helmet of the defensive line. Yeah. But there's a big difference between someone jumping and two feet more of arm or three feet more of arm versus the helmet of a D-lineman. The second Bears stop, down on, they got to the one-yard line. I would have kicked the field goal. On fourth and goal from the one? Yes, score. 
From the one. Yeah. I swear to God, I would take the field goal from the one. Washington can't score. And I don't know if I believe in our offense. And the third stop, we talked about this last night. You had third down with 46 seconds left. I would have run the ball. 52. 52 yep. seconds, first and goal at the five. 52. After, after the 40-yard run by Fields. I think, it, uh, first of all, I think it was a P.I. on Forrest. It was contested. But at the point the ball got there, then it, but he's holding them before the ball gets there. I think it was. Uh, I've, I, we've I seen, like we've seen less called. We've seen less called. I, uh, right. I like letting the players play in that situation, though. So I have no problem with the no call. And then they really got away with one on fourth down when when Mooney dropped a ball that he probably doesn't drop often. It's a good play by St. Just, Just, didn't you think? The ball, I, I do. I, I think it was a great play by St. Just. But if. Mooney catches that at the high point where he has the opportunity to catch that ball. He's in. It's over the goal line where it hits his hands. Yep. Dropped it. So, yeah, I mean, three for three. He's still, whatever way you want to look at it, bad ball or not, it's still three stops inside the five. Right. Bad ball. (laughs) I, I, I mean, throughout the game. The Bears' lack of continuing to run the ball in critical situations was amazing. Yeah, I don't. Under, I, I, I don't understand why the whole playbook. The whole playbook should have been open to them. This was not last week. Last week was 19 seconds and no timeouts. They had 52 seconds. They they could have run the ball and almost halfway huddled up and run it again, and then you know, and then thrown it twice or whatever. I mean, I especially given how much trouble they had throwing the football. But continue. Okay, so I'm just going to progressively go through the game as we. But I wanted to start with that it was big. The the and I'm going to bounce back and forth on these. Is I I hate the Bears' orange helmets and orange jerseys and the color scheme of the entire game. It was so ugly. <laughs> the orange maybe, but go with black helmets. Yeah, the orange helmets were terrible. What do you think? What do you think of? You haven't said anything about Washington's new uniforms yet this year. I don't care that much for them. I don't. I, they're fine. Okay. But the combination of the burgundy with the yellow, <laughs> the whole thing was. I mean, it just looked ugly. Yeah. I think the NFL should have kicked out those Chicago helmets. What's the best uniform combination we can have in a game? I, I've got one for you. I mean, anytime the Chargers wear their powder blues, um, you know, kind of against the Raiders. Raiders against, black. Yeah, the, no, yeah. Get, the Raiders in their whites with the silver in the black, that's a pretty damn good combination. The Cowboys blues um, were always a good combination with the Redskins championship uniforms, right. the white tops and Raven the burgundy Steelers blues. are a good one. I think Raven Steelers are good. Brown Steelers are good. Brown, yeah, or, uh, sorry, not Browns. Um, Bengals Steelers, I like. You do? Bengals Steelers? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the, Panth- like the-, the Panthers, you know, kind of um, turquoise uniforms or, or aqua uniforms, those are pretty good looking. They're, that can be a good mix with, uh, you know, some red on the other side. <laughs> what are we doing here? Get back to your Ozenums. You hated, your, so, you so, hated so, the so, uniforms. So, so what are the, I, I actually, I, I really like Kirk Street. 
I do too. I don't think he's brilliant. I don't think he's incredibly insightful. But I don't. I think he's really easy to listen to, and I like the broadcaster. I've always liked Herb Street. I've, I've watched. I've watched quite a few of these Thursday night games, and I I really do. I enjoy listening to the game with Herb Street. He makes it an easy listen. They don't show a ton of replays when they do. There's a lot of times where he's right, at least, and it's easy for him. Like early in the game, they had a. I think I wrote this. Mooney ran a dig, and Fields turned it down, and he makes kind of an X. Like this is an open receiver in the NFL, and it, it and you can see. I mean, it's it's easy to see. I wish they'd show more replays, and he would do more of that stuff. Maybe he doesn't do it that well. I don't know. I also uh, I don't need I don't need that many times. Sorry to cut you off. I don't really care when you when Chris Collinsworth is like, now you look at the right guard here and his footwork. This is why it's, it's like, yeah, fine. I mean, great. You're watching the right guard play. Mid-play. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, Collinsworth really digging into the right guard's footwork. That's exciting for the casual viewer. I agree with you on Herb Street. I think he's been great in everything he's always done. I think he's rejuvenated Al Michaels a little bit because Michaels, I think, had really lost his fastball. By the way, they've called the two worst games of the NFL season so far, the 12-9 to game last week with Indy and Denver and the 12-7 to game last night with Washington and Chicago. But to your point, he does a really good job on replays. When you were saying that, there is um, – a ball that he turns down on a third down, Fields turns down to Pettis, who's wide open on a crosser in the middle of the field. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Oh, that was the one? Yeah, and he took a shot deep downfield to Mooney. Okay, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's, well, that, yeah, you're right. That's the other one. He took the deep one on third and three where he's like, got to know the situation. Yeah, exactly. Look at the crossing route here. Exactly. Right. That's the one I'm talking the first about. It's just the first down. It's just, look at the crossing route here. The crossing route isn't three. The crossing route right there is 20. Right. Uh, Herb Street hates Fields. Yeah, you can tell. No, no, not as a person, I'm sure. Not, not as a person, no, but you, you could just tell. Well, Cooley Fields can't play. Cooley, he said, though, over and over again last night, and I think it's a fair thought. I'm not saying that a better scheme is – personally, I've actually kind of liked – I like Fields' ability to uh, to be a runner for sure. Um, he's also, by the way, got a big arm. Um, but he is—he was horrendous last night. The Minnesota game, he was much better. But if, if Herb Street kept saying last night, you know, Luke Getzey, who's been with, uh, with with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay for you know the better part of the last decade, that's not why. We have a Herb Street talked about all of the college, you know, the college game meshing with the NFL game, like we've been talking about since 2012. And that's really what they need for him. They need a college offense. They need more zone read, much more dual threat. They need to turn him into what Philly turned Jalen Hurts into last year when they started running the shit out of him. I, I don't disagree, but that offense looked like Ohio State. Run and run action pass and. I didn't think it looked that dissimilar from what Ohio State does. Herb Street did. You don't have guys running six yards open. Well, that's a big difference between Ohio State and the Bears in the NFL. God, by the way, that that's the most important point. 
as somebody asked me the other day, I don't know, it was actually a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the Haskins and remembering your conversation about Haskins before the draft. And you said, you know, I, I can't tell because every single throw, 70% of his throws are within five yards on the line of scrimmage. And then when he throws the ball downfield, his receivers are open by 10 yards. Like, how can you really tell? And that's the problem at Ohio State and Bama and places like that. The talent's so overwhelmingly, you know, overwhelming that it's, you know, you don't have to throw somebody open. You don't have to throw with anticipation because they're there. They're just sitting there waving their arms. I'm here. Nobody's within 10 yards of me. Just throw it up high and let it land in my, in my, my lap. But anyway, continue. So, just continuing on the, the broadcast, the, the replays I would, would have liked more. And th- there was a couple of them. I think there was one where there was an illegal contact on Washington or something, but Jonathan Allen hit fields and he was kind of falling into fields. They didn't call that on Jonathan Allen, but they, could, they showed the replay of Allen hitting fields. And you're like, could we please see what happened with the illegal contact? <laughs> right. The, the, the actual part of the play that, that created the first down for the Bears. Yeah, Allen stumbled and, into and a, him a lot of it. It was like I'd much rather. Yeah, and neither team was really. The Bears went up tempo a little bit later, but neither team in the first half was really up tempo. You have forty seconds of the broadcast to show them walking to the huddle and show them sitting in the huddle and all of the pre-snap stuff. Just give us eight seconds of replay. Twelve. They're, well, they're not. At, well, they're, I don't care what they're doing in the huddle. So that would be my complaint to that broadcast. Okay. Um, the, the next uh, I had, Washington, we talked about this. Washington has zero idea how to pick up pressure. Like their blitz pickup meetings must be a shit show. Like, hey, what are we going to do uh, with uh, double A this week? What's double A? Yeah, I mean, well, that's where both the backers come up and mug the A gaps. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I knew that. I knew that. So let's just... Um, Let's use this him blocking. Uh, you block him. Okay, good, good, good. Him. Sounds good. We'll, I'll block him. Well, what happens if he? But what happens if he comes there? Well, no, it, it's him. You block him. Don't worry about. It. He comes there. That's not he blocking. It's him blocking. Uh, it's bad. It is bad, isn't it? The communication is bad. The scheme's bad. Uh, Wentz is could be Wentz. Could be line. Could be could be play calling. Could be. They don't know how to pick up pressure. Yeah. Um, mm, you don't have to pick up the pressure that much if you'll throw Terry McLaurin some more slant. Conversion on the third down slant. I think it's the first one I've seen him catch this year. Third down. He is a slant machine. It's hard to cover on a slant route. I don't know what's so hard about that. Right. Uh, mm, for Washington, mm, for Washington, really, the Holcomb stop on fourth and one and the goal line stand on fourth and one was huge. I would have kicked the field goal, like I said, because Washington couldn't score. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? It was inside the one, basically, and on fourth and goal. And that was, I think, at the end of a long drive. And they, it really would have said something about that football game last night and about the recognition of how many points it was going to take to win it if in this day and age of fourth down analytics and go forward analytics, inside the one you send out your field goal kicker to, to, to go for it on, uh, on a drive that I think was like 75 yards. Um, but anyway. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Carson Wentz has zero ability to make a non-conventional throw. As soon as he's off platform or arm angle, that ball is not accurate. 
Nope. As soon as that arm comes down, like 20 degrees, 15 degrees to the to the side, not happening. I mean, and again, you got to have some touch on these underneath throws. There's got to be more touch. I, 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 I played with a lot of quarterbacks. And I think it really, the first time this ever happened was against Philly on Monday night. We're losing. It's in the rain. It's the third quarter-ish. And I run a five-yard out route, little stick route. And the ball is on me from McNabb, like 352 miles an hour, just over my head. I can't even get my arms up for it. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. Those those underneath throws with that high velocity are not easy, and if they are not hitting you in the chest, they are not. They are tough catches. You mm. okay, well, hold on on the touch thing. They ran one of the plays they ran last night was, and I I don't have this in my um, game take, but you just reminded me of it. There was a play. It was third quarter. Um, it was right after Gibson had run off a big run and they, and they, they had, he had run off like two big runs and they were, they were moving the football and they went with like this, um, Samuel in motion and it looks like they're going to, you know, they're going to give to Samuel, but instead they throw back to a screen on the other side of the field that's set up beautifully for Gibson and the ball. Oh, and there's one man to beat. The, the ball is is low. The ball was low, and if it's there, and it, it's caught, you know where it should be caught. It's a touchdown. Touchdown. Yeah, that was actually a. Herbert I thought a really it was going to be a good chunk. Yeah, it was not going to be a good chunk. It was a walk in. There were three linemen in front. There's one Bears defender, and he's able to make the play because Gibson's got to adjust the ball, not be able to adjust to getting setting up blocks. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Uh my son is five years old. He's watching the game with me. He's not really into watching football that much yet. He says about Fields, number one is bad, <laughs> but he's good at dodging. Yeah. <laughs> I was dying. He's good, but he's good at dodging. He's good at dodging. Yeah. He he is good at dodging. He was not good at anything else. <laughs> no. Uh, hmm. I really like the Andy Reid commercial where he draws the mustache. <laughs> I, I really like that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Coach, it happened again. Yeah. Oh, that's a good commercial. We've got a lot of us and ums that have nothing to do with football right now. <laughs> they had to do with the game. Okay. And Bodie's had to do with the game. Yes, it did. I'm not talking about yeah. Bodie. I'm talking about, Man. you know, broadcast and uniform colors and continue, please. Yeah, okay. Well, we're getting to the rest of them. So the couple of the the, the the Samuel drop at the goal line, and then the Samuel drop again on the second six. It's like catch the ball. I know. <laughs> that, those were big plays in the game. I mean, there weren't going to be many points scored, and you threw a ball with pressure right into his, you know, right there. It was kind of wobbly, but who cares? That that's got to be a catch. It's a touchdown. Don't like seeing it anymore. It's fun for a while, but okay. Well, then don't do it. Here's the rest of what I liked. Um, <laughs> well, here, I mean, this just goes to bad ball again. Uh, fourth quarter, the Bears are sitting at a third and one. They take a stack to go to a third and fourteen. You're like, why are you dropping him back on third and one? Right, run the ball. Uh, I, 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 
yuck. <laughs> but oh, I hate I hated Chase. Why is Chase Young wearing sunglasses? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to comment. It's nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, but he took them off later, so there's not an eye thing. Okay. They were off in the fourth quarter. Oh, were you, were you were right concerned now. it was an eye thing? Uh, no, I don't know. Okay. Um, one of the things I didn't like, there's a second and eight with nine minutes and 20 seconds in the third quarter. Mooney clearly drops the ball. It's a five-yard catch. Gets them into third and three situation. I got they end up one. going with a toss, and three plays later, they score a touchdown. Yep. I don't care. I don't care if it's a five-yard gain. Anything that puts you into a third and three with field instead of a third and eight, that is clearly an incomplete pass, you challenge. I have that Have challenges. List. They made their own call on the field, and this ended up costing them essentially the drive, which became a touchdown. That's right. I, I don't understand where you don't challenge that play. I agree. I had that on my list because that was a four-yard gain, and it's like, okay, well, it's only a four-yard gain, and is it really going to be overturned? And we didn't get the challenge last week. No, that ball was clearly out and clearly not caught. And third and seven for that team is, you know, if you can keep the quarterback in the pocket, uh, is like third and, you know, zero chance. Third and three, they just pitched it to Montgomery, and he had his biggest run of the game, and they ended up scoring a couple of plays later. On that 40 right. yarder with 12 men on the field. A run, which, by the way, looked like he could have just run to the sideline unabated and ends up cutting it back to midfield and they couldn't tackle him. He's a good back. They have good backs. He's a good back. Uh, one thing I did like was Wentz. Man, he KO'd Roquan Smith on a run play. Yeah, he did. Just knocked him out. Yep. That was awesome. Um, I'm, I'm amazed this dude, Vilas Jones Jr., fumbles a punt, backing up to the nine or eight yard line. Un, uncomfortable with it. Just and you, you let those bounce. Yeah. Like, if you don't got it, just don't get it. That, but that was the one, I mean, that's the shining moment for Washington. That was the play of the game. It was the play of the game. I mean, it's crazy. Um, I hated that they had 12 men on the field twice, and they had 10 men on the field once defensively, Washington. <laughs> right. I don't think Kendall Fuller plays. I, like, that's ridiculous. They, those are dumb penalties. Unless it's Aaron Rodgers. And you're really the best ever in the history of the league at catching guys at subbing. It, it's Justin Fields. He's not. He's not even aware. Of, and it's not that they just lined up with twelve. <laughs> you you are about to say he's not even aware they're going. Hurry up. Um, yeah, but he's also not even. But the Fields isn't even aware they have twelve on the field. No, had no idea. Like, and by no the way, he looks like too many. That what? throw he made. That's actually what he's able to do. He's got a gun. He got absolutely blown up as the ball just left his hand, and it was a dime in the end zone. Yeah, was a dime. Um, my last couple of thoughts on this game. Uh, I wrote this down. We talked about it. Basic cross is not the only third down answer. <laughs> There's got to be other ones. Yep. Um, I was amazed at fourth and sixteen that the Bears didn't punt. It's they crazy. had three timeouts, two thirty-four left. Crazy! I was amazed that they didn't punt and try to back up Washington. Yep. Like it was, what was it, fourth and eleven? And even at fourth and eleven, I was sitting there like, you really aren't converting this. No. Like other than Fields taking off and running, I just you're not. And then they get the procedure penalty or whatever they delay a game, and it then fourth. The delay of game. then at fourth and sixteen, you just punt it away. Get three timeouts. It's a dumb. It was so stupid. By the way, one of the things I hated after they didn't punt it away, 
was that Washington has literally zero trust in their quarterback. But by the way, they don't have an offensive line that could really like dynamically block three run plays for a first down. So they run, 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 and punt. No, they, they missed the field goal. They, they tried the field goal and missed it. A run, 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 and then Joey Sly ganks the field goal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're sitting there saying, we're, okay, we're going to go ahead right now, what, eight points. We'll just run, 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 go ahead, eight points. But that's still a 48-yard field goal. Yeah. Get the first down and win the game. Yeah, I have some thoughts on that. I have some thoughts on that, my, 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 my take here coming up. Because I think I disagree on with On your that. take, yes. You, you would just run, run, run. I mean, I'll, well, yeah, I'll tell you right now. I, 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 when they, they, they got a big run on the first play after the, after the uh, um, you know, after the fourth and 16 craziness of going for that. Uh, Robinson, That's right. They Robinson had their, plays. yeah, they had their big run. And, and at that point, it's like, okay, you, they, you get them to take their timeouts. And you keep running the ball because, by the way, that's the best thing you've done in the second half by far. And you can't risk being sacked out of field goal range here. And what are the chances really at 15-7 to with no timeouts they're going to go down the field and score a touchdown and convert a two-point conversion? So I was definitely in the very conservative mode. I'm not saying that a good team wouldn't have, you know, perhaps taken a shot at trying to run something to pick up the first down and end, end the game. But uh-huh. to me, a field goal, even though it's an eight-point lead with no timeouts, is almost ending the game. I would have been wrong because, well, I don't know if I would have been wrong. They took over at the 38-yard line after the missed field goal versus taking over right. at the 25 with no timeouts or maybe even inside the 25, you know, if they, you know, if they had a kickoff return. But – I didn't mind that. Let me just tell you, though, that Chicago did something that was really smart. I don't know if they did it intentionally or not. You and I have talked about this before, I think, in the past. But this is just um, one of those timeout, you know, kind of strategy things that not every coach does well. And a lot lot of times, many coaches really F it up. But on defense, when you're using your timeouts in a trailing position to get the ball back – you can't call a timeout with like 205 or 206 or less because you then give the offensive team a free chance to throw the football without any punishment to doing that, meaning the clock is, is stopping at the end of the play anyway because of the two-minute warning. Right. And so one of those things people will always say, you got to always take your two, uh, your timeouts before the two-minute warning so that you save as much time as you can, which is not true. Not. But not at 2.05, 2.06 or less. Because it, if they had called their no, second... No, you're not worried about saving the six seconds yeah, in the game. Yeah, because it, if they had called their second timeout, which they didn't, they let it run down to the two-minute warning. Or uh, I'm sorry, if they had called their third timeout with 2.04 to go... Uh, Washington then would have had free license to throw the ball and try to go for the first down. So it's much better what they did. Um, and I didn't have a problem with Rivera being conservative there. And the kicker. But I'm going to propose to you an exactly what you. I'm going to propose an exactly what you said. At two sixteen or two oh nine, if you throw the ball and it's incomplete, you just said you're not worried about the Bears going down the field and scoring a touchdown and getting. The two-point conversion. So why are you concerned with one more timeout? Well, no, I'm not saying – I wasn't doing that from Washington's perspective. I was saying that from Chicago's perspective. Chicago- I was saying that the, bear, the, the Washington running, running the ball 
four straight times and kicking a field goal, even though they had a decent run, there's an opportunity to throw the ball right there and uh, okay. stay balanced. I, I understand what you're thinking. But Especially what, if you believe that Chicago can't score. What I was saying, though, just, just from forget the fact that it was Chicago and Washington. A lot of coaches make mistakes in games when they're trailing and they're, they're, they're using their timeouts on defense, calling a timeout with like 203 or 204 to go. That's a big mistake. Don't ever call a timeout with two minutes and three seconds or two minutes and four seconds, two minutes and five seconds on defense when you're trying to get the ball back because you're trailing. Because now you are giving that team free license to run anything they want, including throwing the football without having to worry about the clock being stopped because it's going to stop at the end of that play. That's all I was saying. Now, the other part of this... No, I understand. If, if, if they were confident that they could get a first down throwing, then do it. And, and by the way, go ahead and throw it on first down. And don't worry about their... T- but, but by the way, if you get the first down on f- first down with a throw, well, they still have three timeouts left after that. So Or two timeouts and the two-minute warning. Anyway, my point is, is that I don't think they were comfortable. Your first, your first instinct... They didn't have any confidence that they could throw and make the first down is exactly what I was thinking in the moment. I don't have any confidence that if they drop back and even in a surprise way play play action on second down and throw it, that they're going to be able to protect well enough. And even if they do, that Wentz is going to make a good throw and they're going to move the sticks. I'd rather them force all their timeouts, kick a field goal, have an eight-point lead. And if somehow they flukily score a touchdown, they're still going to have to make a two-point conversion. Anyway, that was my thinking okay. in the moment. Here's, here's the last two things I had, and I'll let you move on. I think these are the last two, but both of them, in my opinion, go back to the indicative of bad ball. Like we talked about the three third down, or the three inside the five stops. We did not, we didn't really mention the uh, field throw on the fake reverse. Just <laughs> that was the easiest throw that I, that you and oh I could go God. make that throw. I know it was just horrible. And you're like, this is just hard to watch. And then, seriously, the last drive, how is Chicago going to beat you? Driving the ball down the field. Fields. If we really sit and discuss this, I would bet Fields scrambling for 39 yards might be the, the number one answer. <laughs> no doubt. You know what I mean? Like, if you, the game show where you got to list like your five answers, like, Family the feud. number one answer would be, <laughs> would be Fields' big scramble. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Fields scrambling. All right, let's see what it is. And the, the number one. Uh, here it is. And Fields scrambling for 40 yards. Number one. All right. All right. All right. Next person up. Next person up. Um, you know what's funny, though, Cooley? Against Minnesota last week when they were down 29-22, he made some of the best plays, best throws that he's made. They and, and I understand. Yeah, Minnesota's defense is bad. Washington's defense is better. So And he was terrible last night. As the setup. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm done. You're done. I, I, think, I think we'll get to your game take. Okay, let's get to my game take right now. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's, Kevin's game, game take. take. Uh, my game take is the things I liked, the things I didn't like, and a few other observations. Some of this will be repetitive, and when it's repetitive, I'll just go through it quickly. Uh, I want to start with the fact that I just really like the defensive line play. Um, and it's not just the three studs, Allen, Payne, and Sweat. And Sweat has really played well the last two weeks. But 
Obata's really good and flashed a lot. James Smith Williams, Two Hill, Ridgeway, all of them played well. Um, Allen, in particular, just has played so well this year. Had the interception last night. Obviously, he was a little bit lucky. Um, Deron Payne is unblockable at times. Sweat just crushed that rookie tackle all night long. Uh, they had five sacks, 13 quarterback pressures. And the truth is, Fields just barely got out of some of those. And he's good at doing that, at escaping. Um, but, you know, there were times where they had him. It seemed like they had him, uh, and they just didn't finish it off. But defensively, you know, they've really played more good ball in the last three weeks against Dallas, Tennessee, and last night against Chicago. I understand Chicago's not a good team. Um, but they have gotten better, and it's been led by their defensive front where Allen and Payne in particular are having Pro Bowl seasons. I don't know if they'll be recognized for it if they're on a really bad football team when we get to the end of the year. Uh, but but I'll tell you this, Deron Payne's going to get paid big time. Uh, and he's an unrestricted free agent, Cooley. They did not, you know, they did not extend him. This is his fifth-year option that he's playing on, uh, but this dude's going to get paid big time in the offseason. Red zone defense, you already mentioned it, plus two in the turnover margin. They got a little bit lucky because uh, you know Terry fumbled the ball on that reverse, and somehow it hit off the Bears player and right back into his chest, um, but that ball was out, and I think Milne on that first punt return, and this is where you, we didn't get a replay of it, but I think he fumbled it and just fell on it. Um, but still, the, the plus two turnover margin for them has been huge. They they had one takeaway dead last in the league heading into that game last night. They got two of them. They weren't necessarily forced, um, but still, uh, they ended up being a significant decider. Obviously, the muff, muffed punt was the biggest uh, play of the game. On the list of things that I liked, I just thought that the running game really got it going in the second half. Not necessarily early. McKissick had those two runs at the end of the first half that got him into field goal range with the penalties, and I like McKissick as a runner. Gibson and Robinson Jr. basically touched the ball on 17 of the 25 second-half offensive snaps by my rough count. 15, 15 of those were runs for 79 yards, so, you know, over five yards per carry. And Gibson also had two catches. I just think, as I said to you earlier, I know they really like Brian Robinson Jr., and it's way too early, obviously, to have any kind of definitive opinion on Robinson Jr. I I believe them that he's going to be a good back, and I've seen enough to think that he he could be a really good uh, back. They really think he is better between the tackles as a thumper, and Gibson's better on the outside. I just think Gibson's having a good season, and every time they feature him, he plays well. And I saw this stat earlier, too. Um, shit, where is it? Because I had this one up recently. Uh, it was a stat that basically, here it is. Washington is averaging 27.5 points a game when Gibson gets over 50% of the offensive snaps. When he gets under 50% of the snaps, they're averaging 11.75 points per game. I think that's really an interesting number. That's an incredible stat. And because their four that's game that's a really incredible stat. Their four game winning streak last year was with Gibson being featured 
in a big-time way. Gibson last night, 15 of the 57 offensive snaps, 26% of those snaps. Uh, Robinson Jr., and again, this isn't a knock against him, 47% of the snaps. I just like Gibson. I, I think that they're they're a better team with him getting a lot of touches. I'm 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 with you. Uh, I just and I agree. I would say that Gibson can't. You can't like Robinson more and then like literally limit Gibson's touches to eight. Yeah. In a game. Yeah. I, I, that's what I think. I, I also just the running game in the second half. I think they did run block well. As bad as they are in pass pro, this offensive line, they run block better. And Tyler Larson being in there at center uh, for Nick Martin, he's just a bigger dude. You can just see that. Um, there's just more um, there, There's more there with him in the running game and as a pass protector, except on those third downs. On the list of things that I liked, I put Cole Turner down here. I, we haven't seen a lot about I, him. You know what? You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I thought he played well. He only had two catches, two targets, but I thought he blocked. He, on one of those Gibson runs, he was really – he did a great job, not not necessarily blocking, but kind of screening the one defender out there on the edge. He just looks the part mm-hmm. to me, you know? Uh, and then Yeah, I like Cole. I, 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 I said last week he didn't – we didn't talk about this with some of the film stuff, but the game last week it, it did not block well. It was non-existent. He was better this week. And I like him as a – I think he's got something to him as a route runner for sure. They they lost Bates um, before the game started. He got injured in warmups, um, so that's why he wasn't out there. Last thing on the list of things that I liked, you've kind of touched on, but my God, I mean, it was just a it was a blessing that they went for the fourth and eleven and fourth and sixteen, and that they didn't try to run the ball with fifty two seconds left, first and goal at the five. You know. Um, they're gonna. Yep. They've, they've got some things to figure out with their quarterback. All right, the list of things that I did not like: third down offense, two for eleven this week, one for eleven last week, and this week, you know, you didn't have down and distance issues. You know, f- seven of the eleven third downs were like basically five yards or less. Um, there was only one that was third and ten, nothing longer than third and ten. They couldn't protect with the immediate pressures. Uh, you know, you'll watch the All-22, I guess. Maybe we won't do a film breakdown of this game. Who knows? Um, that's up to you. Um, but, f- you know, th- figure it out on third down, Scott Turner. Like you said, I mean, he's skittish, obviously, because he's been hit so much and there's been so much jailbreak kind of, you know, on, on dropbacks. But you got to figure it out. I mean, you've got there's got to be the slants, the bubbles, the you know the slips, whatever it is. Just let's not have him back there worried about getting hit. And by the way, more times than not, getting hit. Um, it was just the, the offense much of the night. I mean, that is maybe the only team, or maybe one of only two teams, three teams in the league you're going to beat when you generate 214 total yards and six points on offense because the the touchdown they had 86 net yards passing it's just you're it's 86 yeah. net that's it, hard to do it's hard to win a game that way 2 for 11 on third down um you know there were some big drops we already talked about that there were penalties like Cam Sims had a false start in the red zone that hurt him um, oh yeah. You know, the, the, uh, you're just the offense was a, the biggest disappointment for me because I thought going into this game this was a chance for them to get right a little bit because 
You know, Chicago was 31st in the league against the rush coming in. They were dead last in the league on third down coming in. And, you know, watching that last week, and I know Minnesota's good, um, and they're good on offense, and they have Justin Jefferson uh, and Dalvin Cook and Cousins, who is a quarterback that can absolutely, you know, dissect you with his mind and knows what's going on. But it was just so easy. It was pitch and catch the whole day, and when they weren't pitching and catching, they were running for big yardage. Um, I just thought they had a chance for a big offensive night. So it was a major step back in any sort of – and my optimism was waning, obviously. Um, but this is going to be the struggle. Um, and I personally think it starts more than anything up front. I know you think it starts more with Wentz. But I think that they've got a major problem with the interior of their offensive line. I mentioned this on yesterday's show, and I forget if I've mentioned this to you. You know, per ESPN's next-gen uh, you know, pass-blocking win rates, they were ninth in the league last year. They're 30th through five weeks going into last night. I know Wentz is part of the problem. I know Scott Turner's part of the problem. I know the receivers are part of the problem. I know playing some of, uh, of the league's really good defenses, Dallas and Philly in particular, have been part of the problem. Um, but it just it, it's not good right now. Uh, also on the list of things that There's I didn't like. Problems. What'd you say? There's just too many problems. Too many issues. Uh, the big, the defense I thought was, you know, again good, but they gave up big plays and they made mistakes. The 64-yard run by Herbert early, there were two missed tackles. Davis and St. Juice. The touchdown pass to Pettis with 12 men on the field caught him off guard. Um, they quick snapped it, and they've got 12 men on the field, and they still throw a touchdown pass. That was the best throw, as I mentioned by by far, all night for Fields. Um, and they gave up, you know, some big scrambles when you knew that that was really the only way they could move the football, including on the final drive. More penalties again last night, seven of them, including two 12 men on the field penalties. They didn't get penalized for the 10 men on the field, as you mentioned. Uh, McLaurin had a big illegal formation penalty on a big run by Robinson early. Um you know, and then Joey Sly missing that field goal. I felt comfortable. He had, you know, hit two field goals. I know they were 28 and 38, but 48, he's got a big leg. That was the direction they felt comfortable going in. And uh, I didn't have a problem, as I've already explained, with the Rivera strategy there. A couple of other quick observations. Uh, I, you totally picked up on something that I was going to mention, which was they should have uh, challenged that Mooney catch because third and seven's a lot different than third and three for that team. Um, I also felt like you did that Forrest could have been called for the DPI on third and goal. That is, you know, we've seen a lot less called uh, in this league. Um, I thought that the Pettis touchdown, the one touchdown that they scored, I'm not sure, it would, you know, that it was worth overturning. But because there hadn't been a touchdown scored in like two weeks on Thursday night football, I don't think they were going to overturn that even if it was like, you know, it wasn't conclusive, but I don't think he had possession of the ball with both feet down. Both feet were down, but that ball was still moving as that second foot pulled up. Um, yeah, and, you know, and I mentioned... Uh, I thought, Wait, yeah, you're talking about the, the Bears touchdown with 12 men, right? Yeah, exactly. That was not a complete pass. I didn't. I thought it was. They, you know, it's not a challenge ball, play. Like Herb Street was immediately. Herb Street immediately said, "Yep, they got it. Touchdown. Move on." Um, I didn't think he had him in. Yeah, I know. Um, 
the uh, I, 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 but but it was funny because I, you know, they had been talking prior to that play about how you know they hadn't seen a touchdown in in weeks on Thursday night football, and I'm like, shit, anything close, they're just gonna they're gonna say fine, let's just get a touchdown on one of these Thursday night games. Uh, but I thought the ball was still moving after that second foot lifted up. Um, I also just wanted I think I already mentioned Tyler Larson not one bad snap and I thought he was actually a big improvement over Nick Martin and Wentz overall I kind of just thought it was like not it wasn't as horrible as maybe some people thought but it certainly wasn't good it's like a C I thought he was either under pressure or just missed badly I mean you picked out that throw to McKissick that was horrible I don't understand he's so skittish he's so worried and, you know, he's inaccurate to begin with. And now he's got in his mind like the clock's ticking after the sn- snap on every play. Um, but I did think, and the reason I, I want to give him like a C, he had, he had some big-time balls dropped, which which obviously would have made the numbers look better and the scoring look better. But I thought he was tough all, all night last night. You know, he was uh, he had a bicep injury coming in and wasn't 100%. He then hurt his finger, which he was bothered by all night long. Then he rolled his ankle on one of those zone read keepers, which he had to get retaped. And he wasn't good, and the offense wasn't good. But, you know, Rivera was asked about the game. Did he think about Heineke? And immediately he said no. And I think I was thinking about Heineke, given that his injury was, you know, he didn't look 100%, which he wasn't, and he wasn't playing that great. But I just thought that he, and I've seen this before from him, he can be, he can be a little bit of a baller and a gamer, like Heineke. Um, he had a game last year in, in a driving rainstorm on a Sunday night football game against that 49er defense when he was playing with Indy. And he must have had like three third down runs where he took one big shot after another and kept get, getting up. I'm not a Wentz fan at all, as most of you know. But I do think that um, he's not the problem. He's a problem. He's not the problem. Uh, Lastly, uh, I was just going to say what you said. That was one of the worst quarterbacking throwing performances we've seen in a long time from Justin Fields. And the worst throw was the one on that little nifty play action in the backfield with, with some reverse action. And the tight end is just sitting there. And I'm pretty sure all of us could have made that throw, and he sailed it over his head by a mile. Somebody pointed out to me that if um, – uh, was it James Robert? No, it was Travis Etienne in the opener who just dropped the easy touchdown pass from Lawrence. And then, you know, Fields throwing the easy one over the head of the tight end. That those two plays alone – I mean, you know, it's a bit of a stretch – are the difference between 2-4 and four and 0-6. Oh and but you could do that every year with a lot of teams. I also wanted to mention that Roquan Smith is so good. We lo- we both loved him coming out of the draft. He has really developed into one hell of a linebacker. And he wants to get traded. Um, you know, he doesn't want to get traded to Washington. Um, but he is one hell of a linebacker. Washington has faced some really good defensive players this year. You know, Parsons, Simmons, Smith in the last three weeks. Uh, like special defensive players, which is what I'm hoping that Chase Young will become at some point down the road. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on that? I did want to play the Rivera rant and wanted uh, us both to weigh in on that. Yep, play it. All right, we'll do that right after these words from a few 
of our sponsors. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. All right, I'll finish up the show here shortly with my smell test. Uh, This segment is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Um, I did like Washington last night, and I didn't give them out the smell test. I should have. I played them last night, um, and they covered. wasn't pretty, uh, but they covered. Uh, but the game of the week, uh, the two games of the week, Tennessee-Bama tomorrow, the biggest college game of the year. Uh, Tennessee is a seven-point dog at Nayland, um, where, by the way, 1500 to 2000 bucks just to get into the stadium. Whereas right now, Cooley, for $99, you can get a three-game package to Commander's Games right now through the Safeway Washington Commanders discount package program. Uh, three of the home games left. Pick any three and pay 99 bucks, and you're in the stadium. Good God. It's really embarrassing what it's become. And you got to pay 1500 to 2000 to get into Nayland Stadium tomorrow for Tennessee-Bama. Um, so uh, at my bookie right now, Alabama minus seven. And then Sunday's big game of the year, the Chiefs and the Bills, that line's still sitting there at my bookie right now at three. Um, Buffalo is a three-point favorite at Arrowhead on Sunday afternoon. Go to my bookie. Uh, they've got fair lines, fair pricing. Use my promo code KevinDC and they'll double your first deposit. So I do want to get your thoughts and I want to give my thoughts Ron Rivera after the game this was an exchange remember we had this story yesterday from Pulitzer Prize winning uh, author uh, and writer and investigative reporter Don Van Natta Jr. and Seth Wickersham who is also outstanding the team pushed back throughout the day on a lot of the reporting Um, you know they showed the shot of Snyder you know there with Jason Wright last night 
the chance, by the way, from the few Redskin fans that were there after the game during the Amazon Prime post game were sell the team. They were interviewing Brian Robinson Jr. and the chance from you know probably twenty five fans sell the team. Um, it's what everybody has to deal with. It's been miserable for 25 years for all of us, 23 years. And Ron Rivera's gotten a taste of how miserable it can be to be in this organization. And it kind of broke him last night in the post game. Here it is. I want you to listen to the whole exchange. What the league would love is for him to sell the team. He's become a major problem around the league, obviously. That was his quote during the broadcast. Okay. So I'm wondering, I know obviously you didn't hear that because you're coaching. Right. How, how throughout today... How did you hear that news? Did it affect you? Um, no, because the truth of the matter is it's not important to me. Okay, what's important to me is the guys in the room, and that's something that I've been trying to establish. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get beyond all this stuff that's on the outside that's noise as far as I'm concerned. What I'm focusing on is the development of this football team. There's a group of young men in there that deserve better, okay, in terms of they, they should be acknowledged for what they've done, what they're doing. I don't want to get talking about something that I can't control anyways. I, I have no input. I have, I have nothing to do with that. What I want to do is everything in that room, and that's what I wish we could just stay focused on. And it's difficult. It's hard. But for whatever reason, we're going to stick to what's interesting, and that's playing football for our guys. We're fired up now. Is it just something about the circumstances? No, what's important is these guys, okay? For the last couple of weeks, honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to speak my mind for a second. For Honestly, uh, it, it's been hard. It really has. You lose four games in a row, and everybody wants to get you, you know, just get on you. And they've played their asses off. They have. They've played their asses off for everybody. They come out, and they show up. They work hard, all right? They don't complain, okay? They hear all this stuff, and they got to deal with it. I get that, and I respect them for that because they're resilient. They come back. Everybody keeps wanting to say, I didn't want anything to do with Carson. Well, I'm the guy that pulled out the sheets of paper, that looked at the analytics, that watched the tape in the freaking when we were at Indianapolis, okay? And that's what pisses me off, because the young man doesn't deserve to have that all the time. I'm sorry, I'm done. So that was it. He exited the press conference. I'm sorry, I'm done. And he was out of there. Um, and... Uh, just so everybody knows what he was responding to there at the end. I mean, Tommy and I talked about it yesterday. But at the very end of the ESPN story, they wrote that, quote, Snyder for years told people close to him that both a new stadium and a true franchise quarterback are silver bullets. Quote, all my problems will be solved if I can just get a marquee quarterback, he told an associate last winter. This past March, Washington traded second, third, and conditional third-round picks to the Colts for Carson Wentz, a quarterback who in 2017 appeared to be on the verge of being a superstar but whose fortunes have since sunk. It was a stiff price for a soft-market quarterback, all familiar marks of Snyder's penchant for overpaying and negotiating against only himself. Sources familiar with the deal said that it was Snyder who pushed for Wentz and commanders football staffers have told people around the league as much quote it was a hundred percent a Dan move closed quote says a source with knowledge of the inner workings of the deal but in the team's statement to ESPN Rivera insisted that he had brought the idea of acquiring Wentz to Dan and Tanya who supported it Rivera said, quote, they love this game and this team closed, quote, at the time. Hearing that Snyder hopes a marquee quarterback will chase away all of his problems, one owner said and laughed, Carson Wentz? Um, so that was what Rivera was referring to at the end, which, by the way, was not brought up in either one of the two questions. 
he brought up the Carson Wentz thing. They put out a statement yesterday denying that Dan was involved in picking the quarterback. And, you know, you heard Rivera saying he went through all the analytics. He went through all the tape out in Indianapolis and, you know, whatever. Um, go ahead. You can uh, you can respond first to this. What did you think of Rivera's rant? I'm sure Rivera did go through everything. I'm sure Rivera did the entire evaluation. I'm sure that Dan called 32 people that he knows and made up his mind based on whatever anybody else told him. I'm sure that Rivera probably did want Carson Wentz as what is realistically, other than Garoppolo, the only answer. And I would bet you that Rivera did take it and they agreed on it. And finally, I would bet Dan negotiated it against himself and traded away a lot more than he had to for Carson Wentz, who, by the way, is not going to save the organization for Dan. Yeah. To sum it up, pretty much that easy. I would not take any credit from Ron. I've said all along, if anybody's dealing with Dan, if you want success, you make any idea seem like his idea and start it there and let him have that idea. I'm fascinated that in this situation that we're going to put out, this is 100% my idea from Dan with everything else going on. But essentially, every time Dan's been done with the coach, he's leaked something to the media in some way and started to take his credit and move in that direction. I, I don't think it does probably doesn't bode well for Rivera moving forward. Neither does not winning a lot of football games. But, you know, every time, you know, Dan's quiet and Dan's not involved and three years later, now Dan's picking a quarterback or doing something, that means the coach is done. That's kind of Dan's writing on the wall. Uh, but, but the state of the franchise thing is, is unbelievable. It's like, did you watch the dude in Indy last year? He's not the same dude. Do you realize why they booted him from Philadelphia, essentially? Because there were too many problems and issues with his leadership, and the talent didn't overcome that. That, that is not the dude that saved. That's not the silver bullet. That's a t- number 20 quarterback. Well, D- Dan wouldn't be able to recognize the silver bullet if it was between his teeth and he was looking in the mirror. I mean, you said to me the other day, uh, what I would do is I'd go to Dan and ask him w- w- which quarterbacks he likes and, and list them one to five and then take number five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't know what he's looking at. He went to the Maryland Gaming Association right before in the summer and told him we, we have a quarterback. It, it, I, I he's just... not looking at anything. He's watching football games randomly, talking to people, having a drink, not in, on television. He's not watching film. All he's doing is talking to people that he knows and gathering whatever information he wants to hear on a quarterback. Yeah, I don't – look. I, so this is yeah. not a huge deal to me. I don't think Rivera needed to walk off with it. I think he just needed to say, you know, he's the owner of the football team and we agreed on this. If he wants to say that it was him, it was him. But I'm saying right now is I was 100% with it too. Um, no, he should, well, he, at this point, maybe he shouldn't have taken a hundred percent credit for it. Uh, maybe he should have. Uh, yeah, it was all his, yeah, it was all his idea. He should have sloughed some of it off. Um, but no, um, I, so I'll start with this real quickly because I, I got a lot of this from, from, from some people. It's like, Jesus, another story about Dan. I mean, is there any credibility to this one versus any of the others? Or is this more? 
No, this this story was written by Don Van Natta Jr., okay, a Pulitzer Prize investigative reporter. Seth Wickersham. This was not, you know, one of those websites or blogs that sometimes we use just to because it's creating a bunch of news where, you know, it's probably right, but maybe not right. No, they 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 interviewed 30 plus people uh, in, in the front offices and so many owners are quoted in this story. Their reputation smothers the reputation of the team. But anyway. Uh, I would also just say, like, we, you know, for Cooley's purposes, because Tommy and I talked about this yesterday, that story wasn't like super revealing or super surprising to those of us that have been living the day to day of this nightmare for 23 years. But it was, there was some new information and there were plenty of provocative quotes. Back to Rivera. So I would start with this. Um, You know, the way he started that answer, I just got to be focused on my team. You know, none of this stuff has anything to do with me. It's true. You know, all of this stuff, Ron Rivera wasn't here for the toxic culture. Ron Rivera wasn't here for the incompetent 21 years of ownership before he got here. He knew what he was getting into. Um, but you know, all of this, this stuff in the past, it's nobody's blaming Ron Rivera for things that happened in the past. And I understand that since he got here, it's just been nonstop and much worse than you could have even anticipated. I'm sure Joe told him, look, this is a shit show, but if you, you know, if you get the control, you keep to yourself. I think right now he's in a position where he's so desperate. He'll, you know, let you do your thing for a while. Um, but, you know, nobody could have anticipated pandemic, um, loss of the team name, uh, all of the stories that started the whole, you know, toxic workplace investigations, six to seven to eight to, I don't know, 12 different investigations ongoing. By the way, some of which were Rivera's fault. He brought in Ryan Vermillion, which, you know, started the DEA investigation and had the DEA break down the doors in Ashburn and raid the facility. Um, so, uh, and by the way, this week, Ron's the one that said quarterback, but I know, and I feel because I've watched him every day for two and a half years, I can sense that he just, he goes home and he says to his wife, Stephanie, my God, this never ends here. I just want to focus on football. That's great, but that's here. And you had to understand that when you came here, that was part of the gig. It's not your it's not your fault. It wasn't Jay's fault. It wasn't Mike's fault. It wasn't even Jim Zorn's fault. Okay? And just so everybody's clear, a new stadium isn't gonna do anything. Winning probably isn't going to matter. Because first of all, they're never going to win as long as Dan owns the team. And really, it doesn't matter whether he picked Wentz or Dan picked Wentz or it was a combination um, because everybody is preconditioned. As Tommy always says, at this point, even if it isn't true, it doesn't matter because everything's believable to this fan base. Everything is because most of the time it has been of substance. Here's the thing, you know, Ron, all the best to you because I know that people who are around you really like you and really respect you. We've been living this thing for 23 years. We know it's miserable. 
you've only been here for two and a half and maybe not more than three in total. We've been living this thing for nearly a quarter century. It won't change until he's gone, period. And your life as the head coach and the head of this organization is always going to include this as long as he owns the team. You should have known that when you came here. Again, nobody could have predicted that it would have turned as badly as it did with all of the you know, things that happened with pandemic and post-George Floyd and losing of the name and all that stuff. But you've got and you're working for the worst owner in professional sports, someone who the other 31 owners want out desperately, who the commissioner wants out desperately. He has ruined a franchise that was so proud and so marquee in this league. You know, Cooley, I tweeted something out yesterday after this story came out and after I had read the whole thing um, at the end of the day. And, you know, there was a lot in there about, like, if they can, if somehow he can get the stadium, all will be good. I don't think anybody outside of this market, and I would throw the NFC East markets into this conversation, because I think Philly fans, Dallas fans, and Giants fans, because they're so close to, you know, Washington and understand what Washington's gone through and play Washington twice a year, and they come to, you know, they invade our stadium every year. They understand it. But I don't think the other owners or the NFL commissioner or most NFL under, uh, fans really do have a grasp on just how little is left of what once was. And the new stadium, that's going to bring people back? That's laughable. There's only one thing that's even got a chance of bringing people back, and that is his exit. His departure. So do us a favor, Roger, and the other 31 owners. Grow some balls and vote them out. You're going to get sued. You're going to get outed for all of the different things that have happened to you, you know, but deal with it because it's much better for the league if he's gone. And my God, it would be great to get our team back after all these years. But I, I have to say that Rivera, this isn't the first time he's, you know, gotten emotional with all of this stuff. I I can imagine it wears him down. You know, on a day of the game, he's got to deal with a story where people are asking him whether or not he made the call on Wentz or it was the owner's thing. And you've got this story about how, you know, Dan's hiring private investigators to, you know, uh, to, to, to look into six different owners and the commissioner. Like, he's got to deal with this. That sucks. But if he didn't want to deal with this, he shouldn't have taken this job. Because that's what everybody's had to deal with. All of them. Jay, Mike, Joe, Zorn, Marty, all of them. Spurrier, all of them. Nobody has left here unscathed. The best of men. Hall of Fame coaches. Borderline Hall of Fame coaches. Star college coaches, one of the best coordinators that they hired. They've gone every which way, and it hasn't worked out for any of them. And it's not going to work out for you either, I'm sorry to say, even though I know you're probably one hell of a guy and a hell of a a leader that your players and everybody respects. But I can see where he gets worn down. But I hope, you know, this idea that he thinks that the media is picking on him, that needs to be shelved. Because that's just not true. 
That's not what's happened here. Nobody's blaming him. Uh, those are my thoughts. Would you like to add to that um, or not? I think we wrapped it up. Do you want to stick around for my quick smell test or not? I, I do, but I have. <laughs> we have school off, and we are going to Yellowstone Park for the for two days oh. today. And I am family ready to go. So With camper? No, we're staying in a, in a hotel. Oh, I say with that. a pool. Oh, that's, I mean, there's nothing better than going to a hotel with a pool with the kids at that age. That's lots of fun. No, they're they're fired up. Are you going so. to fish? No, the kids don't fish much. We're going to go, I think we're just going to go do a little hike into Yellowstone Falls, and then we're going to stay out of Yellowstone, and then we're going to go drive through Big Sky, Montana, and over to Bozeman, where there's a hot spring, and stay there one more night, and then circle back nice little october vacation it's beautiful here well, you and go- the weather's been unbelievable for the fall here have have the kids ever seen old faithful they have yeah all right enjoy it uh appreciate you doing this i'll talk to you over the weekend see ya all right let's finish up with the smell test kevin looks where the john q public is putting their cash and does the opposite it's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test, test. Rough week for the smell test last week, 3-10. and 10. Um, I want to strangle Lane Kiffin. I don't know if you guys saw how the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt game ended. Uh, I gave out Vandy plus 17. It was 45-28, to 28, clock running down, and Ole Miss is going hurry up at the end. Lane Kiffin knows the point spread and likes to deliver for his home fans. Uh, trust me on that. He is very aware, I believe, of the point spread. Uh, the, the They could have taken a knee, and the clock would have run out up 17. They were running plays. And then he said afterwards, because he was talking to the Vanderbilt coach, and the announcer on the field said, uh, were you talking about you know scoring there at the end? And he said, yeah, I was trying to explain to him that you know there was a difference with the play clock, and I just felt like you know we needed to run one more play. Well, no, you didn't. There was no difference at that point, actually, with the play clock and the uh, game clock. Uh, I think the clock would have run out, but he certainly just could have taken a knee, and the clock would have run out, and it would have been a 45-28 final. But they ran it in and won 52-28, to and that was one of the 10 losses. I mean, hell, it would have just been a 3-9-1 week instead of a 3-10-1. So tomorrow, Oklahoma tomorrow is playing Kansas for those of you not uh, really following the college football season, Oklahoma stinks. Oklahoma's allowed 145 total points in their last three games. They're, they're giving up 48.3 points per game in their last three. They lost last week 49 to nothing to Texas. Oklahoma's as bad as they've been in a long time. Uh, in the first year of Brett Venables as the head coach, Kansas, in the meantime, having a great season. They lost their first game last week, a 38-31 shootout to TCU, uh, who is a, a highly ranked team now, uh, a highly ranked team as well. Uh, Kansas is ranked 20th in the country. I know this seems weird, like we're talking about Oklahoma being a major anti-public side. Oklahoma's a nine-point favorite. People thought it was a misprint when it came out early this week. They're a nine-point favorite after being blown out three weeks in a row, giving up 145 points against the 20th-ranked team in the country. And they stink, and they're laying nine. Uh, Yeah, I'll take the Sooners and lay the nine. I don't think it's a misprint. 
Um, Tennessee tomorrow is the biggest public play on the college board in the biggest college game of the year so, so far. Getting seven at home against Bama, I'll take Alabama length seven. When you can, when can you get Alabama, by the way, as the anti-public side? Very rarely. Uh, Michigan State was awful last week, getting blown out by Ohio, Ohio State. They lost to Maryland the week before. They've lost four in a row. They are really, really struggling. Wisconsin, with their new coach, rolled up 49 in a 49 nothing shutout win over Northwestern. Wisconsin's only laying seven in East Lansing. I like Michigan State plus the seven. Duke's getting seven at Carolina. Carolina can really score. I gave out Miami last week laying three against Carolina. That line seemed way off. Carolina won the game 27-24. Miami had so many opportunities to score in the red zone, and they didn't. Uh, I'll take Duke this week. In fact, I really like Duke uh, as a plus seven, you know, 49-45 kind of game one way or the other. Uh, Here's a game that doesn't make any sense. Utah, uh, who lost last week against UCLA, uh, beaten pretty handily by UCLA, is laying three at home against undefeated Southern Cal. Public all over the Trojans. I'll take I'll take the Utes laying the three, and then Florida State uh, has lost two in a row, including last week to NC State. They had a seventeen three lead. I gave Florida State out last week, and they ended up losing that game nineteen to seventeen. They're only getting three and a half at home against Clemson. That line is short. The public likes Clemson. There's sharp money in Florida State. I'll take Florida State. Uh, three pro uh, pro games. I like the Saints plus one and a half at home against Cincinnati. Uh, the public's lined up on Cincinnati. They're one of the biggest plays of the weekend uh, in general. So is Tampa laying eight and a half at Pittsburgh. Uh, Tampa, something's still kind of not you know completely right with them. Um, I'll take Pittsburgh plus eight and a half. And then the Monday nighter, this is subject to change, but for now, as long as Russell Wilson's playing and the line's four and a half, I'll take the Broncos plus four and a half at the Chargers. There is your smell test for the weekend. Oklahoma minus nine, Alabama minus seven, Michigan State plus seven, Duke plus seven, Utah minus three, and Florida State plus three and a half. On Sunday, the Saints plus one and a half, the Steelers plus eight and a half, and Monday night, the Broncos plus four and a half. I really wanted to give Washington out last night, but I thought it would have jinxed it. Um, I played them. Plus, actually, they laid uh, a point and a half at kickoff. I got it at a point earlier in the day. Uh, and they won 12-7. to 7. Wasn't pretty, but, you know, at least for now, we don't have to start digging the hole uh, to put them into it. Uh, they've got 10 days before Green Bay. I would imagine the Packers, by the way, have a game, interesting game against the Jets. The, the Jets who are rolling that game's at Lambeau. Boy, Sunday's card, you know, you got some good 1 o'clock games like Jets, Packers, and Ravens. Uh, and Giants, interesting one o'clock game, and then at four twenty-five, Buffalo at Kansas City, and then the Sunday night game, Dallas and Philly. I actually like Dallas a little bit plus the points by the half point, get it to seven. That should be an intense game on Sunday night, and it is for the division lead, uh, or at least a piece of the division lead, um, depending on what the Giants do. Actually, if the Cowboys win the game, they would technically be in first place at 5-1, and one, having beaten both the Giants and the Eagles. All right, that is it for the day. Have a good football weekend. Be back on Monday. 
There was a report today on ESPN alleging that Snyder is accumulating damaging info on other owners and Roger Goodell is leverage. There he is in the middle. To avoid being voted out of the league, our Michael Smith reporting before the game, Snyder's the subject of five different investigations or inquiries for sexual harassment, a toxic work environment, financial irregularities. This has been an ongoing story with the investigations and all of that. And the owners have a meeting scheduled in New York on Tuesday. It is not currently on the agenda. Fields under pressure. Just my feeling, I think what the league would love is for Snyder to sell the team. Not have to go to a vote, but just sell the team. Because it's become a major problem around the league, obviously.